Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 43, 18 through 44, 23, called Keys to Revival. God is like water. And when you realize that you're going to be dry and empty without him, he depicts himself as like this rich flowing water. Think of a waterfall. Think of a beautiful flowing stream, living water. That's what God is. And Jesus said that's a picture of the Holy Spirit in John 7. I will pour out my spirit. This is how uh, Israel, or for that matter, any people come alive in Jesus Christ. It must be the life of God being poured into you. It must be a spiritual conversion. Unless you are born again, Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again of water and the spirit. There must be a metamorphosis, an internal change where the life of God, indeed God himself, God the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside a believer. And without that, you're not in the kingdom. You don't have the life of God. But when you have that life, Notice, they will spring up, verse 4, among the grass, it reminds me of Psalm 1, like poplars by streams of water. This will be the tide of the Spirit. And this one, speaking still of Israel, will say, when the Spirit's working in your life, you're not embarrassed to say, I am the Lord's. Think of the 144,000 in Revelation 7 and 14. They will have his name on their foreheads, right? This one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob. And another, they will say, I belong to Israel. And another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord, and will name Israel's name with honor. It's kind of like a person who decides, I'm a Christian. I no longer am going to hide. And I even know a dear brother who has about three or four major bumper stickers on his car. I'm not sure personally I would go that far. Because sometimes driving, we don't, you know, I don't have a perfect record. But man, it's Jesus is my Savior and bumper sticker and what will you do with me and do you know why and all this stuff. Man, car is a traveling Bible gospel tract. But when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you think of the early church when Peter stood up, the man who was cowering at the, the fire when the servant girl asked him, aren't you one of them? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, is in the middle of Jerusalem saying, man, we're going to obey God rather than men. I don't care what you say. When you have the Spirit of God empowering you, you are no longer ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my first years, man, it was a little difficult. Which friends do I want to tell? Which friends do I not want to tell? Now, man, I'm, I'm out there. I'm exposed. I'm on the radio. You know, Even sometimes when I don't feel like a Christian, my sermons are on the radio and on the internet. Boy, that'll make you accountable real quick, I'll tell you. And all of a sudden... I realize I have made up my mind. I'm not waffling. I know who I am. I know in whom I have believed. And I know that what I've entrusted to him, he's able to keep till that day. Have you made up your mind? Are you willing to say, are you willing to be out there as a Christian and say, I don't care what the culture thinks. I don't care how they want to paint a Bible-believing Christian in the culture, how they want to paint us as whacked out, whatever. I don't care. Because I belong to the Lord. His spirit is in me, and I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Is this you? Have you written it on your hand? I belong to the Lord. 
and will name Israel's name with honor. Many of the Jews, certainly when the heat gets hot, it's tough to say I'm a Jew. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, verse 6, and his Redeemer. I see two persons there, and I think we're seeing here a picture of the Father and the Son. And his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Write in your Bible, Revelation 117, 2.8, and 22.13, where Jesus claims to be the first and the last. This is a claim to deity. And that's why when some people say, I read the Bible and Jesus never claimed to be God, I don't think that you read the same Bible I'm reading. Because Jesus claimed to be the first and the last. And that is undeniably from Isaiah 44, 6. And it's undeniably God who is talking. I'm God. There's nobody else. Who is like me? Verse 7. Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation. Let them declare to them the things that are coming. God had challenged the idols in the past. Tell the future, prophesy if you're really true gods and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Verse eight, have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? You are my witnesses, are you? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? God asked the question, is there any other rock I know of none. And since God is omniscient, it's not like there's some secret God somewhere that he hasn't found out about. I know of no other God. And over and over again, you'll see in Isaiah chapters 40 through 48, God makes it clear he has cornered the market on deity. He is the one true God. Are there false gods? Certainly. All over the place. Even God, uh, Satan is called a god of this world, small g, but he ain't the true God. There's only one of them. And God says, I know of nobody else. No other rock. You want to lean on something? It's me. Because any other god you try to lean on, you're going to find it's sand. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now quickly we'll move through God once again mocking the idols. In light of everything he just said, wouldn't it be ridiculous to be an idolater? Now I'm going to read through this section with very little commentary. Here's what it says. Those, verse 9, who fashion a graven image are all of them futile, and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a God or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame for the craftsmen themselves are mere men, those who make the idols. Let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand up. Let them tremble. Let them together be put to shame. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals fashioning it with hammers, working it with his strong arm. He puts effort into it. He also gets hungry, man. This is a long process. And his strength fails. He drinks no water, man. He's on task and becomes weary. He's got to get that idol done. There's a deadline. 13. Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He's making sure it's all squared up and right. He outlines it with red chalk, man. First, we got to chalk it up and then, you know, then we'll cut. 
He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass. He's careful. And he makes it like the form of a man, the ultimate idol. This is even a TV show like that, isn't there? Anyway. He makes it like the form of a man. Write in your uh, Bible, Romans one twenty three, and you'll see the idols in the book of Romans, chapter 1, that famous section ends up with things being made in the image of animals and man. He makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of the man, so that it may sit in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself. He takes a cypress or an oak tree, raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir. The rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. He can make a fire with it. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to uh, bake bread. Of course, you make a fire, you can bake a little bread there. And he also, out of that same piece of wood, makes a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and he falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire, 16. Over this half he eats meat as he roasts a roast, so he can cook his meat on there as well. And is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. You're a good God. I've seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a God, his graven image. And then get this. After he uses it for kindling and fire and bread and roasting his meat, he falls down before the thing he fashions. And he worships it. And he also prays to it. And he says, Deliver me. You're my God. But he... He grew the tree and he, he saw it grow and he cut it down and he measured it and he used half of it for fire and he baked bread and he, and he cooked this meat and then he cut the other half and it became his God. And if your God is your oven, you got a problem. What? Really? And we talked in the last couple of weeks that idols are pretty sneaky. And we think, how ridiculous, until we realize that an idol can even, Ezekiel, we read, enter our hearts, and it's anything heart-level substitute for God as an idol. Oh, no, that's a little bit more personal now. I mean, I can laugh at the guy who cut it down and bakes his bread and does his meat and then bows down. But what about people who are bound down to a ton of other things in our culture before they bow down to Jesus Christ? They do not know, nor do they understand. Look at 18. For he has, just a few more verses, he has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. We know the devil does that work in 2 Corinthians 4.4. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. But God oftentimes, and even in the book of Isaiah, we see he hardens their hearts because they refuse to open their eyes. That's a dangerous place to be. And no one recalls 19. Nor is there knowledge or understanding to say. Nobody says in the middle of this process, wait a minute, I've burned half of it in the fire. Let's see. Also have baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. You know, have you ever had a moment like that? Like, what exactly am I doing here? I have put this thing, and whatever it could be, this relationship, this drug, this job, and I bow down to that thing. You remember Richard Pryor who got himself in deep trouble with smoking cocaine and he trapped himself in a room 
and he said the pipe began to talk to him. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. We have just celebrated Easter, so the first series is on the resurrection. So if something is that, that's written down reflects poorly on what is being described or what is being reported on, if that reflects poorly... That lends to its credibility. Yes. Because normally we say, well, the writers are biased. Regardless, we're not just talking about the New Testament. Any writer's biased, they want to get their point of view across. But what shows their objectivity or attempt to be objective is when they include information or facts that reflect poorly on themselves or the narrative they're trying to push. Yes. And, and so let's take a step further towards that. So when the women go to the apostles who are supposed to be the brave followers of Christ, right. they say... The, the women have lost their minds, to paraphrase. They do. They're just crazy tales. They, they don't believe it, which is another embarrassment yeah. because, of course, the, the documents go on to say that Christ is risen and it becomes crystal clear. But the, the way that it, this is written down, and we believe it corresponds exactly to what happened, is that they don't believe they have no faith. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. You remember Richard Pryor, who got himself in deep trouble with smoking cocaine? And he trapped himself in a room, and he said the pipe began to talk to him. And he was carrying on conversations with his drug pipe. And he was so out of control that a fire started, and he burned himself up. Because that thing became his God. Because it took precedence over his family, his career, everything, including God Almighty. And God says, that's an idol. It doesn't have to be a block of wood. It could be a block of aluminum with wheels. (laughs) It could be a lot of things. Cars aren't made out of aluminum. What are they made out of now? I don't know, whatever. Plastic, yeah, there you go. Now, motorcycles are different. Just kidding. (laughs) This idolater, look at this word picture. He feeds 20 on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. He cannot deliver himself, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? It's it's as though um, Isaiah's picturing the idolater holding his idol and says, you know, this thing could be a lie. But the other word picture is great. He said the idolater is somebody who feeds on ashes, NIV, with a deluded heart. Have you ever thought about eating a nice bowl of ashes? Mmm, so wonderfully tasty and filling. No, ashes will leave you bitter and empty. Do you remember when the whole golden calf episode happened and Moses came down from the mountain? He was mad, angry. They had broken all the commandments. You remember what they did? They burned the calf 
They took the ashes of the calf and threw it on the waters, and Moses made the people drink it. That's where the whole soap thing came from, parents and kids, right? You're going to do this. You want to see how it... Trying that cigarette. (laughs) How's it taste? Right? A mouth... Imagine. Get the picture. A spoonful of ashes. (laughs) That's an idol. You get nothing, man. But you'd be spending the next week trying to get the taste out of your mouth. I remember there was a guy. I worked in a pizza parlor growing up. You know those little red peppers that you put on pizza? Well, we were doing all these silly things as teenagers. So he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take a spoon, heaping spoonful of those red peppers, put it in my mouth, and I won't drink anything for five minutes. Five bucks. We said, you're on. Well, he sat there for about 30 seconds, and you could see the steam like a cartoon coming out of his ears. <laughs> he spent the next couple of days trying to get those little pieces out of his mouth. So what do we do? Three verses to go. Remember. Remember these things, O Jacob. The next time someone puts an idol in front of you and says, hey, this is better than the God of the Bible. Would you remember some of this imagery? And Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. I do want to work. You are my servant, O Israel. And look at this. You would think that God would say at this point, don't forget me. But he says, I won't forget you. You would think that the main reason to run away from idolatry is all this nasty stuff associated with it. And you think that right at this point, God would say, don't forget. Remember what I just showed you. Remember the lesson. You got it? Put it in your mind. Okay, remember now. He didn't do that. He says, remember these things. Yeah, that's true. But then ultimately, the ultimate reason, I will not forget you. God is faithful. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud. Think of a thick cloud being moved away so you can see the sun. Your sins like a heavy mist. I've moved them away. But here's all you need to do. Three things. Remember, verse 21, return to me for I have redeemed you. Three R's. Here's the keys to revival. Remember, return for I have redeemed you. And then the response, shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Notice the work is the Lord's. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. This will come to full fruition in the millennium. And in Israel, he shows forth his glory. And so we must say to people, remember, return, and come to your Redeemer. He will not forget you. He's shown you how much he loves you at the cross, but you must come to him. Come in faith. Come in uh, humility. And then you'll take the gift of a king. There's no cost. The only requirement is you recognize your condition. You remember. You return or repent and return and you are redeemed. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for our great redeemer. 
the Lord on high, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our aimless conduct, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law and cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus, you took the curse of God for us. God the Father treated you on the cross as though you had committed my sin and the collective sin of all humanity for all time. That is amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? But that's exactly what you did. This God who made all these pronouncements in the Old Testament is the very God who shed his blood at Calvary. And Lord, when we, when we recognize that, when we recognize that new work that you're doing in our hearts, that living water, that we belong to you, that you formed us, that you have a plan for us, that your plans are good, that you've loved us and honored us, that we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account, that is the greatest motivation to live a godly life in gratitude to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want you to keep your heart bowed before the Lord right now. Maybe you've misunderstood grace. Maybe you have not entered into that covenant with Jesus Christ, with the Father, through the Son, through his finished work on the cross. Maybe you've been thinking that you could earn your way. If that's you tonight, why don't you settle it and just remember, return, repent, return, and be redeemed. Let him do the work. Let him wipe away your sin. Let him wash away your iniquity. He took it. He took the punishment, the cup of wrath at the cross for you. Receive it. Trust in him as your personal Savior and Lord. Cry out to him. You don't have to have perfect words. Just tell him you believe. Tell him that you want to turn from doing it your own way. If you've been far away from the Lord and you need to come back, maybe you're like Israel. Maybe your relationship has become ritual and you feel far away and you just want to come back to the simplicity of a relationship with God. Why don't you do that right now? Why don't you just cry out to him and say, Lord, I, I'm returning today. I'm not going to waste another moment with idols. I'm going to remember what you've done for me. I'm going to let the Redeemer work in my life. And if you're on the front lines tonight and you've been doing the good work, just keep doing that good work. Don't grow weary in doing good. Let his spirit move through your life. It's easy to get worried and despair and overthink things, but just allow him to live his life through you. Allow him to take any anxiety that you have tonight, any concerns, cast them to him because he cares for you. Let him do a supernatural, new, special work in your life, new filling of the Holy Spirit, new blessings from on high. Just, just allow him to minister to you. Stay in that attitude of worship. Seek his face. He will be found. 
He does love you. Father, we are grateful. Just minister, wash over your people tonight. You've been listening to Keys to Revival, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 43, 18 through 44, 23. Hey, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Hey, we love to connect with our listeners. You can email or send Pastor Michael and the team here a letter. We love mail. You can get all the contact information at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. But our email address is contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address. Are you ready? You can write Pastor Michael at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. And just a reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events, too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. Whether you can give financially or not, would you please spread the word about Walk in Truth in your community? Tell a couple people to either listen on this station or find Walk in Truth on their podcast app. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 44, 21 through 45. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.